third day you water it a little bit more. I'm not sure if these are exact amounts of times you need to water flower. I, I'm a really bad plant keeper. So but yeah, yeah, this I'm is just, I'm just trying to make an example. Yeah. I'm not sure what this the is exact a fake times plant are. Right there. That's a thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and we're going to have a really fun conversation for you today. Um, I'm interviewing Dr. David Prologo, and he is a double board certified interventional radiologist and obesity medicine specialist. He spent his entire career working from the perspective of the patient to help develop compassionate out of the box solutions for those who suffer with complicated pain syndromes, they struggle to lose weight, or they just have a hard time navigating this healthcare system. And he's the author of the catching point, the founder of the catching point transformation. And we're going to talk about what that means today. Uh, but before we do, let's just kind of get in Dr. Prologo. Thank you for joining us. And can you just share your story um, and what drove you into this field of medicine and kind of what bend you bring to this field of medicine and weight loss specifically? Sure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all the work that you do. Yep. Uh, So I'll try to keep it short, but uh, it really started with uh, when I grew up and as I was growing up, my relatives would struggle with weight loss, but specifically my mom, actually. And uh, at that time in my life, I, like many younger people, I was involved in sports and uh, I was lean and, you know, I was not in my mom's shoes at all, but I did have direct access to her thoughts and actions and why she continued to serial fail these diets. I had a nice inside view and it was interesting to me and I be, it became my passion. I went to medical school and I got an obesity medicine certification uh, because my passion became understanding why it was that people couldn't do this, right? I was here with my mom, who was clearly a strong woman and uh, had three boys. And uh, at some point, my dad lost his job and she went back to work and then went back to school and graduated all while raising three boys and having financial strains and so on. This was a strong willed woman, right? Uh, But yet I hear that from the from society and feedback that, oh, well, if you can't make this weight loss change happen, you must be weak willed, you must not have willpower, you must not want it. I have to tell you, she wanted it. I mean, it was something that drove her crazy. It was something that caused her to feel depressed. It was something that um, uh, made her feel like her self-worth was not what it was. And it ate her alive. And I had a front row seat to this. All the while hearing from what I call the always lean people, uh, all the while hearing from the always lean population who have never gone through this, uh, generating these solutions for my mom that were not working. And then when they didn't work, blame it on her. So I thought, wow, this is crazy, right? I mean, this if I were a car salesman and I sold you a car that didn't work, and then when you came back and said, hey, this didn't work, and I said, oh, well, it's your fault, it doesn't work. 
And then what would ha- and then what actually happened is you would say, oh, well, maybe it is my fault. It didn't work. And then you come back and buy another car, a different car on another day and just over and over and over thinking that these failures are your fault. So I became sort of uh, obsessed with that phenomenon. And I ended up spending uh, my postgraduate training and my research career and even moved to the to the institution where I am now to continue to research the phenomenon of attrition. And then, of course, I think most viewers understand or most listeners understand what that means. Attrition means that people don't stay on these programs. And to me, Mm -hmm. the CDC generates these reports saying that 150 million people are overweight or obese. Uh, Also generated a recent uh, report in the last year or so that uh, at least 50% of Americans had failed at least two diets in the previous year. That's hundreds of millions of failures, right? And so why, where are all these failures coming from? You, you can't possibly tell me that all these failures are because everyone's weak-willed or lacks mental fortitude or doesn't really want to lose weight. It can't be that simple, right? So that's how I ended up where I am now. I did a huge amount of work uh, on attrition in A, understanding why it is. And, and actually, that's what drove me to write the book. I wanted... The, I, when I started to discover these things and understand these things and, and realize that the obesity medicine community, they know this, right? They know exactly why you can't stay on this diet. They have quantified all the things that stop you from being successful. Now, my mom, who, who doesn't have this kind of knowledge, will try to articulate it, as do as many of your listeners, I bet. Well, they try to articulate it. They, here's how it will sound to me you know, doc, I, I, I try to follow this thing, but I think, you know, I don't know, maybe I have slow metabolism or it's my genetics, or maybe you think it's my thyroid. Like they know something is stopping them, but uh, they, they don't know what it is. And they try to, they try to plead with you to understand that something real is stopping them. And it's not their mind or their willpower or their desire to lose weight. So back to the fast forward to the present, there are all these reasons. So the, the primary driver for the book, was to get these reasons out there. I wanted people like my mom and anybody who's ever tried to explain that I follow this thing and don't lose weight because something that I can't put my finger on is stopping me. I wanted everyone to know exactly what those things were so they could be vindicated. So they could understand that they were right all along. There is something stopping you. You're correct. And so that was the driver uh, behind the book and behind a lot of the research and studies and things that we've done um, but I feel like I've gone on for quite some time now, so I'll take a break. Well, that's, <laughs> I that's, that what I like. <laughs> that's what I like my guests to do is make my job easy. And you guys can just <laughs> kind of go on these long winded sprees. But yeah. so you said, you know, there is something stopping them. And Correct. I loved how on the website, I was looking through your stuff beforehand and you have principles of the catching point and transformation. And mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. that those would be really helpful to share with the audience today because so many of our Zibli members come having tried everything. They've tried Weight Watchers, Noom, they've tried Mm -hmm. um, keto, they've tried intermittent fasting. It's like they try, they try, they try. They're not getting the long-term sustainable results. They might go on Optavia or Nutrisystem. It works while they're on it, then it's not. And it's like, I feel like this is such an underserved area in weight loss, specifically weight loss medicine to talk about 
these underlying blocks that people have towards sustainable results. So can you explain some of those for us? (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned the the points on the website and those are, you know, the the points on the website are a little bit ahead of what our discussion is right now. The points on the website are the solutions, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But what you're asking now, I think is a more important question, which is what are those actual things that are stopping you? And before I go through those, there was a very famous study in the Journal of American uh, Medical Association, JAMA, that compared all of the diets because so many people out there said, what's, I need a diet that works, you know? And so they took uh, the Ornish diet and the Atkins diet and this and many popular diets and they compared them all, right? To get an answer to that question. And what they found was uh, there was no difference in the combination of calorie restriction and exercise that you embark upon. The only variable that correlated with success or not success was adherence. And it seems simple, right? It seems simple. Those people who are able to stay on for longer periods of time lost weight. So this idea of attrition is the most important thing. It doesn't even matter. All the programs, uh, it doesn't even matter what combination you package them up in. They will not work unless you can stay on them and people can't stay on them. And here's why. So (laughs) uh, there are a host of responses. That, uh, that the body comes up with when you abruptly uh, restrict your calories and start to exercise. And probably the most important thing that I'll say all day, at least to me, is that these changes I'm about to describe are not present in the always lean population, right? Because the always lean population yes. is already lean. They're engaged in maintenance activities. They're not exposing their body to this abrupt change that the body perceives as a starvation event in an attempt to make a change. So those two things are very, very different. The experience is very, very different. So if you're a member of the always lean population and you think, I can't believe, all they need to do is just get up and run. Well, your experience of getting up and running is not the same as theirs. It's a different thing. So that said, uh, the easiest to understand uh, response of the body to abrupt calorie restriction is, and I'm sure you know this, so I'm just gonna try and say it in a different way that you already know for your audience is that your body perceives that as starvation, right? You're wired to survive. Imagine if I said to you, I need you to to go underwater and stay there as long as you can. Your body is wired to survive. As much as you might want to stay underwater and you you have willpower and white knuckle attitude, you're not going to be able to stay underwater forever because your body is going to overcome you with survival-based responses that will ultimately override your desire to stay underwater because the body is powerful and will lead you to survival to burst out and get oxygen, okay? So when you abruptly restrict your calories, much like that uh, being underwater, your body now perceives this as a threat to your existence, as a starvation event. And what happens when your body thinks that it's now all of a sudden have less food available? It drops its metabolism abruptly. And then everything that you do eat, it stores uh, because it's trying to survive, right? So when you go and cut five, six, 700 calories out of your diet, then your body slows down three, 400 calories and then stores what you do eat. It offsets your efforts, right? And so, and, and what does that look like on the ground? It looks like a patient who comes back and says, I did cut my calories and I didn't lose any weight, right? And, and that's perfectly explainable. And everyone knows why that is. But the response that everyone gets is, oh, you're probably eating Doritos in the closet right. or whatever, right. you know, or, or not telling the truth or not writing it down. But that's not, that's not the case at all. 
the body has, has slowed its metabolism and offset your efforts. And the second thing that happens is your body will overwhelm you with uh, food seeking signals. And uh, this is, we were talking a little bit before we started, but this is probably the crux of my argument against mind over matter. The body will dump a molecule, which we, it's not something that we imagine or, or think of. We can measure it and see it in the blood before and after people restrict their calories and it spikes afterwards. And that molecule is called ghrelin. It travels to your brain in the bloodstream and it creates a signal in your mind that tells you to go and seek food. But the body is brilliantly redundant. It doesn't only do that. It also sends a signal directly through a nerve that connects your empty stomach to your brain that the stomach is empty and we're going to starve. You better go and seek food. Excuse me. So you have this one-two punch, right? And these are real things. We can measure the nerve signal. We can measure the molecule. So this, this and you're not going to overcome this. If you can imagine right. going without food for six hours, 12 hours, 18 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. When you get to the 36 hour mark, it's just like being underwater, right? Your, your body's gonna have you forget about everything other than getting food at that point. And so that's not something that can be overcome with willpower. That's something that the body does to resist your efforts to lose weight. Uh, and so those, those are the two big ones. There are, there are others, but those, those really are the, the two big ones that offset people's efforts. And then uh, when they get, when they're trying to follow the static schedule, which we can talk about later, and they get to day two or day three or day four, and they feel this overwhelming hunger, and they feel the effects of having a slow metabolism, and they're not getting anywhere, then it's quit. I mean, yeah, I would no. <laughs> tell me the effects of the slow metabolism that you're talking about when they feel the effects of a slow metabolism. What does that right. feel like? So it, it, it's, how can I say this? <laughs> I don't want to, I, I don't want to, uh, they feel like crap. That's the yeah. word. There you go. So uh, you, you feel like crap and you, and so what happened, you, you lead up to this. It always seems to be on a Monday for some reason. You lead up yeah. to this Monday yeah. with all of this excitement about how you're going to change your body habits. You embark on this thing on Monday and then on Tuesday or Wednesday, your body just feels like it got hit by a truck, Right. And it's the combination of all these things, the hunger hormone, the decrease of the metabolism, but there are other things, which I'm sure you know about. Um, there's this phenomenon called adiposopathy, right? Where the fat cells release these inflammatory mediators, the same inflammatory mediators that are present when you have the flu. So you literally feel sick and crappy, not to mention the fact that you're depressed that you went on this thing to begin with. And so all of those things together lead to uh, attrition and or but they're all yeah poor adherence yeah poor adherence it's it's all it's all real is the point right? right it's all real and it's all coming from the body up to the brain not the other way around and so when we interrupt these things which is one of the one of the studies that we did we we in my day job i freeze nerves to block pain signals right and so I'm out here on podcast making this argument that the signals are coming from the body to the brain. And one of the studies we did was we took that same technique where we can freeze a nerve and block the signal. And we blocked that nerve carrying this hunger signal from an empty stomach to the brain. And everybody repeated or reported that their hunger was down. And what happened? They were more successful with losing weight. So we addressed one of these things and people got over that hump, past that catching point, and on their way. If we can address them all, then we can change the outcomes. 
And that's a lot smarter, in my opinion, than responding with, oh, just try harder. Just white knuckle it. Yeah. It's just like, try harder. I, I always say, you know, you really have to follow the good feeling thoughts, you know? So when we're talking about the mindset thing, it's like, if you're starting, so a great example is a client yesterday, we were doing a, like an eval call and she's like, well, are you going to give me my meal plan and my grocery list? And I'm like, when you ask me that I sense discouragement already in your voice, Sure. you're eating out multiple times a week. You're going to Chipotle, to Del Taco, to out to Mexican restaurants. If I were to give you this shopping list of food, which I fully could, that would stress you out. And you would have the same experience that you've had in the past of following it for a few days. And then, you know, messing up one day and feeling like crap about yourself emotionally. And it's like, how about we work on making smarter decisions at Chipotle first? And like, that's the kind of mindset work, you know, it's, it's not like you have to like muscle your way through this, like plan, but it's like, pick a thought that feels lighter to you, pick a thought that feels more doable to you. And I think that this emotional, like actually tapping into your emotions and listening to them can be so beneficial versus like thinking, as you said, that you have to white knuckle your way through it because your body has physiological responses. I love that analogy of having to come to the surface for the water. Your body doesn't want you to change. Your body has strong physiological mechanisms in place to keep you at the same weight. And so we have to outlast and outsmart these hormonal changes that I've (laughs) like, I've really seen that they can last six months to four years, this slower metabolic rate, uh, the increased in hunger hormone. Have you seen different research on that or? Oh my gosh. The most famous of these is they followed the original biggest loser contestants. Mm. And there are ways, as you know, to measure your basal metabolic rate. And they measure the basal metabolic rate of these original biggest loser contestants 12 years later, I think. And uh, those who had managed to keep any of that weight off still had oh decreased gosh. basal metabolic rates, even at that time. So it's something that has to be navigated and, and negotiated, even if you succeed. Yeah. Uh, but I like the way you're what you're saying. Uh, so we're definitely going to be in agreement here. I, think I we thought we different would words on it. Uh, I would, what I just heard you say, I, I have listed on those points of solutions is progress, not perfection, yes. right? Progress, not perfection. And th- the analogy that I use for that is imagine instead of losing weight, we were talking about being a coin collector and we were going to, we were going to ultimately have this super cool collection of coins if there is such a thing. Right. <laughs> and um, so you start collecting these coins over time. And then something happens, right? Your kid gets sick or your job gets stressful and you have to pay attention to that and you can't pay attention to your your goal of collecting coins, okay? If that happened, when you went through the couple days of stress, would you turn around and then throw all the coins that you already collected out and start over? Yes, good point. You would not do that, right? You of course would not do that. You would come back and you would try to continue to build over the long run uh, on on top of what you already had, you would keep that and you would continue to build to that over time. And then when something else happened that distracted you from your coin collecting, you would again attend to whatever that might be and then come back to your coin collecting and thereby change the nature of your collection over time Yeah, in a long period of time. You would not, I, at least I hope people would not buy a book that says we can get you a sweet coin collection in 90 days. 
And then you're like, sweet, 90 days, I can do it. And then start doing it. And then when it, when it doesn't go exactly the way it's supposed to go in order to get to your goal in 90 days, you just chuck the whole entire thing and give up. Right. We don't want, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that for any other thing. So how that got ingrained over time as the, as I, I think not to be, you know, like conspiratorial, but I think it's driven by the people who are selling us the uh, books yeah. about coin collecting, right? Because yeah. if you're, if we've created this scenario where you try something, give up and throw everything out and restart two weeks from now, that means you're going to buy something else. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you're going to keep coming back to me, then I, I support this, right? I'm going to be rich from this. And there's, you know, they really, these big food companies, these weight loss companies, they play into marketing principles. They play into someone's desire for instant gratification. They play into fear of failure, you know? And so they know the psychological principles that will get you to click buy and it doesn't work time after time. And then, like you said, people feel like they're the ones that are failing because they have all these beautiful success stories on the website and all these things. But I think we have to kind of dig through, first of all, I think to start, I want to know what is the catching point? We've mentioned it a couple of times. Let's really break that down. What is the catching point here? This is the best podcast I've ever been on, by the way. Uh, Thank you for asking that. (laughs) So um, so what is the catching point indeed? And so I believe that the catching point is so critically important because again, my focus is not on necessarily uh, the end goal of weight loss, right? I'm, I'm trying to shift the focus because I've seen that that doesn't work, as you mentioned. And I'm not interested in making money. I'm lucky enough to have a good day job. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to get a message out there instead mm-hmm. of trying to make money. So I'm focusing not on the end game, but as we talked about up until now, on attrition or adherence. And I'm focusing on exactly what it is that causes people to quit. And can we talk about that? Because if I can change that for you, then your experience is going to change and your life will change. So the catching point is exactly that point after which the experience is different. So there's two camps. There's the, the 250 pound 5'5 five five camp uh, who are trying to make a change. And there's the lean camp, which we talked about right now. The people in, in camp A, they want to be in the lean camp because the people in the lean camp are not miserable. They're not feeling this crappiness that we talked about before. They're not starving. They're not in a constant state of resistance to food. They don't feel like that. They're smiling and going to the gym and running. And they literally do not, they love it actually. Uh They'll tell you addicted to this lifestyle, can't live without it. So it's anything but a miserable experience. So if we can get people from camp A into camp B, and then all of these activities they need to lose weight, aren't creating miserable feelings for them, but instead are creating that addicting fun feeling, then their lives will be changed. And so to get there, you have to get through this point, which is the catching point. There is a clear definable point after which things are easy and fun. But the mistake people make, we talk about this in the book, of course, is they don't look at the catching point. They look at the end point. Yes, yes. And to to have one more analogy. If we were talking about becoming a surgeon, right, then you would say, okay, well, here's a book and this book has 20 steps that you need to do in order to perform this surgery, right? So if you woke up and said, well, I'm going to make a change in my life. I'm going to become a surgeon. You will pick up that book and do surgery on Monday. Of course not, right? Of course not. You would realize that I'm going to have to get to a critical point first in this analogy, uh, have a medical degree. 
before I'm going to be able to do this surgery. Not that it's undoable for me. I just can't go from A to B on Monday and start doing what the surgeon does on Monday. I need to get to a critical point beyond which I'll understand those instructions and I'll be able to do it. Same thing here. Once you're past that critical point, you're going to be in this other camp where it's a different experience for you. So the catching point is that point beyond which all of this is less miserable and fun. And the experience of healthy living is not miserable anymore. And it's not crappy. Now, not to get too far into the weeds, but the catching point itself can actually, you can put a number on it. It's defined as an exercise capacity. There's lots and lots of research that shows that at a critical exercise capacity. I know I'm starting to sound boring here. So I'm going to we love the science stuff. So my community, my community is very smart. Hey, good, very good, well good. Somebody hang up right now. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and translate this. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a critical, it, it, and again, this is not Dave Prologo's idea. I'm just trying to tell you the listener or the reader of my book, what is true. Uh, I'm not trying to get you to believe my ideas. I'm busy otherwise. I just want you to know that this is true and out there and you can do whatever you want with it. But this exercise capacity idea, uh, very famous researchers from Yale and Harvard and then the True Health Institute have confirmed that a critical exercise capacity changes your food preferences. So what does that mean? It means that right now the idea of eating kale for dinner sounds terrible. But once you get past the critical exercise capacity, which we're calling the catching point, the number of which is 220 minutes. Once you get past that, your cravings are different. So again, if you've ever looked at Camp B and wondered how in the heck they can sit down and eat that salad and not be starving to death, it's because once you're past that exercise capacity point, your food preferences are now changed. So you now crave healthy foods. You now desire healthy foods. It's not a struggle for you anymore. And so... But the catching point is an exercise capacity that the great majority of people in Camp A are nowhere near. And so not to you know, go through 10,000 different analogies, but if you're trying to empty a pool, if that's your job, right now you have a Dixie cup and you're probably not gonna be able to empty that pool with that Dixie cup if that's your exercise capacity, you know, your ability to walk around the block or whatever. But if I can get you to a critical, to this critical exercise capacity, which translates to jogging, to about jogging for 30 minutes without stopping. That's about what it is. But as you know, it's complicated, the met minutes, but that's about what it is. And will you explain what a met is? So a met is an attempt to individualize your calorie burning capacity, right? So obviously the calories burned when someone does activity A uh, is different if you're hundred pounds, 200 pounds, 300 pounds, 400 pounds. So the met is, uh, is an attempt to equilibrate that and make it the same for everybody. And then met minutes are just that times time. And so uh, when you can do that amount of exercise, now, instead of having a Dixie cup to empty your pool, you have uh, like a truck or something, whatever it is that empties pools quickly, right? Or makes a real impact on emptying pools. And so this is very important, not only because it'll make things easier for you, it'll make your cravings different, but also your chances of making the change you want to make with starting with the exercise capacity you have now, that Dixie cup, your chances of doing that are like zero. You're, you, you can't perform enough exercise to impact your change. You're probably going to get hurt when you try. And this program probably wasn't written to have you gradually increase your exercise capacity, whatever one you picked off the shelf. And right. so uh, focusing on getting to that exercise capacity 
excuse me, that will change your life. That will change your experience. It will make you less miserable. You'll turn into one of these people that's taking selfies at the gym and enjoys working out and can't live without it. Uh, and you will, you will now be able to impact your weight loss because you have enough capacity to burn enough calories that are actually going to make a difference. One last thing I want to say about this. Yeah. Here's a real world fact for you. Book publishers don't want to hear what I just told you, because essentially what I'm trying to say to the world is I need you to forget about losing 90 pounds in 90 days for a while. Just focus on an exercise capacity change, which might take you six months or eight months during which you're not going to lose weight. If anything, you might even gain weight because your body's going to change and your composition is going to change and you're going to add more muscle. So that six to eight months is like your time in medical school, right? You're not going to be doing surgery, uh, you know, but this will get you to a point where you'll be able to change in the long run. But book publishers don't want to hear, no. hey, can you spend six to eight months changing your exercise capacity during which you will not lose weight? If anything, you might even gain a few pounds. Can't sell that book. That's so. not a sexy title. No. Exactly. <laughs> and I spent, year, I spent years saying, well, I'm not, I'm not trying to write a book about a weight loss program. I'm trying to get an important message out to people so that they can change what's going on now so they can take a different approach. Um, but, but book publishers want to sell books. So I had a big fight for a long time before finally I found a publisher who let me write what I wanted in the book because, uh, because it's different. Okay. Well, let me, I have a few follow-up questions. So about 220 met minutes equals mm -hmm. about 30 minutes of jogging. And I Correct. know that there's someone that is listening right now and they're like, well, I have bad knees. I'm not going to be Correct. able to do that. So can Correct. we kind of talk about how the met minutes doesn't necessarily have to be um, accomplished through jogging. Correct. Se. Yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you bring up this point because uh, it, it, it also sort of segues into another very important point, which I'll come back and answer that question. But the other very important point that you're opening the door to is individuality. Yeah. Uh, the static schedule is just a killer, right? We just generate this schedule that is supposed to apply to every single person, despite all their differences in body habits, all their differences in their life and experience and all of that. Uh, that's just a recipe for, for death. Um, not death, but failure. <laughs> failure. So, um, but yeah, so the, Met, so the Met Minutes, uh, that's just an example I use to try and translate a complex mathematical calculation in Met Minutes so people understand what it is. That's mm -hmm. one example, but certainly arthritis and knee pain, uh, things that have developed over time because someone is overweight, become a limiting factor to them changing their exercise capacity. But that is where individuality comes through. That is where we say, don't try to follow the static schedule that, because I have news for you. Again, not to be too preachy, but that static schedule was not designed for your success. It was designed to sell and make someone money. It was not designed to help you specifically. And so your individual path to that catching point once you are there, there's a little more uniform uh, outcome after that because you join this camp of lean people and you can do all these different things. But certainly your path to that exercise capacity does not have to be jogging. There are so many other examples. There are non-weight-bearing things like swimming. Right. Uh, I can't remember what all the 220 minute examples oh, were. I couldn't either. Um, yeah. <laughs> we uh, learned about swimming it. Swimming is one. Heated rowing is another one. 
Uh, and so, and, and there also are going to be a subset of people who are listening to this who are going to say, you know what, I hate exercise. You know, this guy's full of crap. You can lose weight with diet. So I will respond to that proactively. Uh, the first thing I would say, with all due respect, is if you can, then do it. Or you, why, you probably, have you already done it? You know, probably the answer is no. And that's, again, because of everything we talked till now, it's not your fault that you haven't been able to do that. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, you, it's, it's not possible. So, uh, so if you think that that's true, that you can do this and you can lose your weight primarily with diet and never worry about exercise and change your life forever, then do it. That this whole discussion is, is not for you. But if you're someone who's tried to do that many, many times and find yourself back at the starting line again, uh, then listen to this. Uh, so that would be my first response to that. My second response to that is you hate exercise now because you are so far to the left of the catching point that doing exercise now is like nails on a chalkboard for you. But I promise you that if you get to the other side of the catching point, the experience is totally, totally different. And this disdain that you have for exercise will be a memory. You will not hate it at that time. Uh, and the third thing I would say to that is your people who say that their gut reaction to I hate exercise is because you're trying to you're trying to use more than your Dixie cup right out of the chute. Yes. And that doesn't work. That's a miserable experience. So what you think is exercise uh, is is really not not that you need to start with your Dixie cup, get yourself to the catching point and and then make that turn over the hump after which you'll never say that again. You'll. My my wife used to hate dogs, hated them. No dog will ever live in my house. They're disgusting. She ended up getting a dog for me because I love dogs. And now she loves dogs. She can't even remember ever saying that she hated dogs because they showed her love. And, and all of a sudden her experience with a dog is, is not what she thought it was. And she can't even remember saying she hated dogs. That's what will happen to you here if you trust me and go to the catching point first. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So this is a weird off the wall question, but it just popped into my head. All right. You, you mentioned the biggest loser contestants. Yes. You mentioned that most, I mean, the research is clear. Most of them, unfortunately do regain a significant amount of weight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Didn't they make it to the catching point? No, boy, what a great question that is. So absolutely not. They did not make it to the catching point. Tell what me they, more, because we see them like they're working out, they're working out. Surely they're making it to the catching point. They are not. They are so not making it to the catching point. They are doing the exact opposite of, of what I'm trying to explain people should do. And this is where the rules on the website will come in. What they did was in an isolated environment, kind of pulled this rubber band back really fast, mm -hmm. right? And then as soon as they got out of that environment, whew, they let go of that and it came <laughs> flying back. They did anything but focus on the catching point. What they did was exactly what I'm saying no one should ever do, which is look right past the catching point and try to get to the end. Mm -hmm. The end was, you know, 80 pound weight loss. That's what they wanted in the end. And instead of making their way to the catching point in an overlapping, slow, progressive, individual fashion that focuses on recovery, they just force these people to endure the exercise uh, calorie restriction duo of doom for a longer period of time while they were on TV. And then it just all snapped back, right? They, yeah. they, they famously gained that weight back, right? Yeah. Because all they did was stay underwater for a real long time 
because they were on TV. And then the second the TV show was over, they just, their body just went whoosh, and everything came back. And like you said, your body isn't interested in losing weight. It's interested in surviving. And so all they did was hold down those survival signals for a longer period of time than most people do. In fact, they proved my point, actually, that even if you can somehow endure this crazy uh, combination of exercise restriction, you'll just gain it back anyway. Yeah. So, so that they proved my point, those big do. You just have to change how you're thinking of it. I have another good question. Um, there's someone that I follow on social media. I love her. Um, I'm not going to say who it is, but she's her, her whole social media is about how she's done a 5k every day consecutively for however many days. So mm -hmm. she's all mm -hmm. about daily consistent activity. You can do it. I can do it. See, but then mm -hmm. she always says, this is not about losing weight for me. This is about right. mental health. However, I have members who love exercise. They certainly have broken this catching point because they're showing a consistency and a joyful attitude towards their physical activity or exercise program. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes they can still hit that weight loss plateau. And so yeah. I think, don't you agree that it's not just about reaching this catching point? It is not just about reaching the catching point in the long run, mm -hmm. but it is all about reaching the catching point in the short run. Mm -hmm. Because your chances of succeeding and sustaining weight loss from the starting line where you are now is less than 5%, right? And again, this is not Dave Prologo's opinion. This is the CDC's report, right? That's a fact. Um, and so it is all about changing your starting line. If you get to the catching point and then you take something on, whatever it might be. Right. It might be it's keto, maybe it's Whole30, maybe it's the Atkins. I'm getting old, so I keep saying Atkins. But, <laughs> you know, whatever it might be, your chances of succeeding now are much, 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 much yeah. greater. 80, 90% chance of succeeding because you've now changed your starting line. So just as if you wanted to be a surgeon, your chances of successfully performing surgery on Monday are about zero. But if you get a medical degree, now your chances of successfully performing surgery have gone way up. So if you change your starting line and get to that catching point first, now what you've done is you've changed the chances you have of getting to your end goal. That's why the catching point focus I is like so that important. Frame. I like that changing your starting line. And I'm never worried about her progress. I'm like, it'll come, it'll come. You might, have to, come. This, you might come. have to tweak that, but you are showing consistency. And that's one word that I wrote down here is like, there are skills that one must learn when they go from their true start to, you know, this catching point start line. And right. I think that those are the same skills that will then carry them to yes. their finish exactly. line. Yes. Yeah. But and and the instructions on how to get to the catching point are all about that. Yeah. They're all about gaining, gaining knowledge, gaining information, gaining uh, your own, freeing you up. You know, we, we have these pictures of people that, uh, for example, the ones that we, we block hunger and we watch them go through, we interview them here where they say, I've tried everything. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried this. I've tried that. And then watch them. And what happens is you become interested in it. You become all of a sudden you're on the internet or you're stopping at a gym and you just change into one of these camp B people and you gain all these skills along the way so that now, I, I know I have a million analogies, but like if, it was, if it was climbing a mountain, 
and you stood at the bottom of that mountain and then you just started to sprint up towards the top of the mountain, your chances of making it are almost zero, right? But if, if you're at the bottom of the mountain, you go up a little bit and then pause, right? And let your body change, acclimate to the oxygen that's around, pick up a couple of tools, by the way, and you do this in a systematic fashion, your chances of succeeding are much, much greater. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what the book is about. It's about gaining all of these things that you're going to need along the way so that when you do start some traditional diet, you will succeed. Yeah, and, and, you and mentioned, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to cry the blues again about trying to publish a book. If you, <laughs> if you come to the book publishers with that, you know, which is, it's essentially a prequel, right? Here's, yeah. here's what I need you to do to, so that when you get to day one and you want to try 90 pounds in nine days, whatever it might be, I will get you to a point where when you try that, your chances of success will be much greater than 50%. And right now, if you don't, if you don't make these changes that I'm instructing you to make, your chances of succeeding are zero. And you're just going to continue to try, fail, try, fail, try, fail, try, fail. So uh, I had a mentor when I was learning interventional radiology, how to do the, all these procedures. And he said to me one day, Dave, if what you're doing is not working, try something else. It was like the simplest of, of advice. But I think it applies here. Look, if what you're doing now, if you're hearing this and you've failed 20 times, if what you're doing now is not working, try something else. What do you have to lose? Right. You don't. And you did mention one of the principles, kind of one of the solutions that you dive deep into in the book is, you know, progress over perfection. You talk about, we have to be flexible. We can't have these rigid plans every day, right. but one that I wanted you to touch on before we wrap it up, because I know we have just a few minutes left is recovery, you know, because we don't often think about that enough. So what do you mean by recovery is really essential to this process? Or, or think about it at all, right? So thank you for bringing that up. It, yeah. It's really the, it's sort of the invisible thing that will allow your body to change. Last analogy mm -hmm. of the day. If you wanted a flower to grow and you bought it at a grocery store and you brought it home, and you poured water in there, okay, because flowers need water. And, uh, and then you poured water again at 10 o'clock, and then again at 12, and again at 7, and the next morning again, and again, and again, what's going to happen, the water is going to get in there, and the plant is going to drown. So if you start your weight loss program, and you do calorie restriction and exercise, same thing the next day, same thing the next day, and on Thursday, we're going to do it again, you're going to drown and fail, just like the flower. If you water just enough, and then get out of the way for a day and a half, the plant will use that water, change its structure and begin to bloom. On the second or third day, you water it a little bit more. I'm not sure if these are exact amounts of times you need to water flower. I, I'm a really bad plant keeper. So but yeah, yeah, this I'm is just, I'm just trying to make an example. Yeah. I'm not sure this what is the exact time are. Right there, that's a fake <laughs> one. <laughs> the point is that you have to allow time in between for the, for the plant to change its structure mm -hmm. and become the bloom, beautiful, beautiful flower that you want it to be. And that's what recovery is. Recovery is what happens when you perform an exercise bout or when you have a time of calorie restriction, you don't wanna be these people who are just pulling the rubber band back like the biggest loser contestants. You want your body to adapt and change its structure so that it becomes built to live in this new way. And that happens in between. So it's never written into any program to focus on changing your body by accelerating recovery. And these recovery interventions are active or passive, active things like the right supplements, hmm, okay. passive things like rest and sleep. 
this is when the change that you want is actually occurring. So if we go back to the mountain analogy, you go up a little bit, you need to sit for a second and let your body acclimate to less oxygen. And then you go up a little bit more and then you need your time for your body to change again. And so focusing on recovery is allowing you, you want to change in the long run. You want a year from now to be a different person. You don't want to just be white knuckling underwater and hoping in a year from now that you're still fighting and resisting for the rest of your life. It won't work. You'll just snap back. But in between, if you accentuate and accelerate these recoveries, then you will nurture change in your body and you'll ultimately become a different person. And to tie it all together real nice, recovery is an individualized thing. It cannot be written into a static program. So by definition, you are ignoring it by pulling the static program off the shelf and trying to watch it because your recovery and what you need to recover and change is going to be different than mine and different than another person. So we need to learn to listen to our body's feedback and be fluid in our approach over time. So that's, that's, you know, and recovery is so important. I, I, I'm going to go back to the Atkins diet for one, one more example or even the South Beach diet, another old fashioned diet, right? But this principle is the same. These are based on, on scientific principles that people understood. The Atkins diet is based on this thing called macronutrient thermogenesis, right? right. They knew that it took more calories to burn a gram of protein than others. We knew that, scientists knew that, doctors knew that. All he did was write it in a book so the public would know it, right? It wasn't like it was something new. And so my point is that, uh, we know this to be true, that we have to listen to our body's feedback and accelerate and accentuate recovery in order to make a change. This is a known thing. I just put it in a book so everybody yeah. will know. <laughs> yeah. And just, I know we have just a minute left. And for those people who may be like myself, maybe like you, they're achievers, they do or they're doers, they want to do, do, do how I've reframed this in my mind, rest and recovery is that I'm exercising my parasympathetic nervous system. And so our gym has like a lay down massage table and it has like this red light thing. And I'm like, I'm going to go to the gym today and have a rest day. And so I'm lucky right. enough to have those things, but sometimes it's right. like, I'm going to take a bath today. And that's right. taking care of my physical health. I'm taking a nice relaxing bubble bath, or I'm doing some gentle stretching. I'm exercising my parasympathetic nervous system. And it makes me Perfect. feel like I'm, you know, getting that little achievement in for the day. So, and, and uh, your body changes because of those does. things. It, it changes oh, it in the direction that. that you want it to change yeah. as opposed to pouring water in every hour until you quit. I know. Well, this no is one really, can endure that, right? No, no one sorry. can do that. Yeah. Well, this was a really fun interview. Can you tell people where they can get the book and learn more about you? Yeah. So I have a website, drprologo.com, D-R-P-R-O-L-O-G-O.com. And uh, there's a lot on there. A lot of it has to do with weight loss and all the things that we talked about today. Some of it has to do with uh, the same principles applied to other things like pain and mental illness and so on. Uh, because really these principles are, are pan applicable. There are a lot of different ways that we can use this thinking of uh, looking at the in-between days, for example, or looking at attrition and, and sort of understanding these things in a different way, mostly, mostly through compassion. So drprologo.com, uh, I want to help as many human beings as I can. I want you to understand that you are uh, all beautiful people and most of what you've been saying is correct. Uh, so I want to be your advocate. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I will link up your website and the book uh, in the show notes for this episode. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for your work. This has been outstanding. Thank you thank so much. You. You're yep. the best. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.